how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. I had been spending my entire life and career uplifting other companies, pushing their message, pushing their brand forward, building their audiences. And I thought, well, why don't I just use this like superpower, this skill that I've created and use it to promote myself? Today on The Colin and Samir Podcast, we talk to filmmaker Matt Diavella. Matt has done something that Colin and I have always wanted to do. He made a movie for Netflix. The movie is called Minimalism, and we highly recommend you give it a watch if you have not already. Matt documented the making of Minimalism on his YouTube channel, which recently crossed 100,000 subscribers. He also has a podcast where he interviews creatives called The Ground Up Show, and he asked us to be on it. So we took that opportunity to sit him down and ask him some questions for our podcast. We asked Matt about tips if you want to make a movie for Netflix. We talked to him about why he decided to go onto YouTube, and he gives tips about finding your own style and voice as a filmmaker. We also took to Twitter to do some Q&A. So enjoy our conversation with filmmaker Matt Diavella. So we're here with Matt Diavella. We just finished recording The Ground Up Show, which is his podcast. It is a podcast, and it's also video as well, so yes. video podcast. Yeah. But I don't put it on the video podcast section on iTunes, because nobody looks at those. Oh. Did you, did you know, know that? I didn't even know that. Yeah, there's a, a separate podcast. section. Did not even yeah. know it existed, yeah. so. The more you know. Yeah. So we actually just spent the last two hours recording a podcast with Matt, and he was asking us questions, but we figured we'd turn this around and ask him a question for our channel. So Matt has done something that we've always wanted to do. He made a full feature-length documentary and sold it to Netflix. So, Matt, the question that we have for you is, for creators like us in 2018, what's some advice that you would have for someone who wants to do something similar? I think the biggest advice that I would give is find the right people to partner with. Because when I look back at minimalism, uh, I couldn't have done it myself for a number of reasons. One, like I'm, I, by nature, I'm pretty lazy. I'm a pretty lazy person, so I feel like... I've started so many projects that I just haven't finished. Uh, there was a series when I graduated college called Limbo that I wanted to create. I called it a series, but I only made one. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I had this whole grand idea. I'm going to interview people about their experiences post-college and how they were dealing with the financial crisis and how they're able to get a job. And uh, I only made one. But when I look at minimalism, I was able to partner with Josh and Ryan from theminimalist.com. I think the biggest thing there was... First of all, they had a platform. They had an audience that wanted to see a documentary about minimalism. So that was already a great starting point because we're like, all right, no matter what, like we didn't have expectations. We're going to get this on Netflix. We're going to, you know, get this on Amazon Prime, whatever. It was, let's just make something that we really care about, that we know your audience is also going to care about and then go from there. Because we're, you know, whether we, basically my expectation was, I just hope we make our money back. And we ended up putting ten, twenty thousand dollars into it over a long period of time. Like the initial contribution was 
flights and it was hard drives and you know SD cards and everything else we needed to make it happen. But then eventually over time, uh, it was, all right, now we can pay for color grade or we can pay for sound mixing. Uh, so those commitments came later, but it was the partnership that carried me through the entire process because it was Josh you know, calling me saying like, hey, what's going on? How's that rough cut doing? And me being like, good, good. Mm-hmm. I didn't start it. <laughs> like not even, I don't know where this is going. And then that motivation to not let them down, to make sure that, you know, we're all in this together. If I have trouble, I can ask them for advice. They can ask me questions. Um, so that's really the biggest thing. It's like find somebody who can bring a different skill set, bring, uh, bring that to the table that way you guys can both use your own skills. Like say a, a filmmaker has, uh, is really good at what they do. They can create films, but they don't have an audience. Find somebody that does and then make a movie for their audience. I feel like that's the easiest way to get into it. Because building an audience is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it takes a very long time. Uh, so I knew that that wasn't going to be the way to get it done. And how, does it, how do you go about finding like, the distribution platforms? Like, how do you go about getting on Netflix? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think it's becoming harder and, and more difficult over time as more and more people create content. Uh, but saying that, it's still not impossible. I mean, we released our documentary in 2016. We got on like I think we partnered with Netflix like two months before they actually put it on the platform. So not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, uh, it's it's a challenging thing to try to navigate. I, I think people shouldn't focus on that first. Like first, you should just try to create amazing content and not worry. And just thinking, all right, well, if I can make this, if I can finish it, I can put it out on my own platform. I can put it on YouTube if all else fails, uh, especially if you're doing it really low budget. But my advice for somebody who does want to get on Netflix, does want to get on Amazon, once you get to that point, it's all about relationships. It's all about connections. Uh, You have to win people over to want to even have a meeting with you. So you're going to have to have some short form content, a trailer or a teaser to help promote the show uh, or the movie, whatever it is. Because if somebody's going to sit down and watch something a minute, two minutes, and it's super interesting, really engaging, and it pulls them in, and uh, then you're going to have more likely to be able to get a meeting and be able to say, all right, this is the actual full length project. This is what it looks like. The biggest challenge is getting that video seen or showing it to the right people. So, so I know straight line. Like once your movie was done, you guys went on tour and you did a bunch of theatrical releases before it sold to Netflix. What role do you think that played going and actually touring around the country, premiering in theaters? It was a terrible mistake. <laughs> really? Yeah, it, it was a it was a big mistake. Uh, I just think we wanted to. It just at the time it seemed like the way to go. It seemed big. We had a theatrical release, right? It felt good to actually do it. And in the moment, it felt great. It wasn't cost productive. And you're also, so we are like utilizing Josh and Ryan's audience at The Minimalist to push people to either theaters or to get them to go online to, to buy it or download it. So it's like, a lot of people that went out into theaters, they're not going to be the people that are going to be sharing it online. They're not going to be the people that make it trending on Netflix. It's kind of like there's only so many times you can ask your audience to do something. So I think that was just one takeaway is like, hey, where should our big push be? Should it be on theaters? Which is like uh, the, the, the deal is basically like 50% of the profit initially goes to the movie theater. 
then whatever is left over, 50% goes to the distribution company. And then, you know, other fees come out randomly out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, at the end of it, we did make our money back, our initial investment, but it's not a whole lot considering, because if you go on, what is it, uh, like movie or I forget what it is. Like you can box office mojo or something. There's a website for it. It might say that we made like $300,000 from minimalism's release, but we did not see a fraction of that. So I think it's a balance because as filmmakers, we want to be able to keep doing it. So you need to be able to make a good profit. You need to be able to make it sustainable where in the beginning it was just about making our money back. But then I realized, actually, I like this. This is fun. If I could keep doing it, that's, now the goal. So I need to make a little bit more money to be able to pay for food and rent. Mm-hmm. So at that stage, like you've been on Netflix, you've had your movie in theaters. Why did you turn to YouTube? It's funny because the, the day that I started my YouTube channel, um, my brother got into the Air Force Academy uh, or in, in, he became basically, he was going to be an Air Force pilot on the road to that. So I was like, our lives are going in two completely different directions. Like, uh, <laughs> like what am I doing? Why am I starting a YouTube channel right now? Uh, but for me, it was about basically looking at minimalism. I saw what I could do, what the potential was. It was the first time I created an original piece of content that really resonated with an audience that did well. And I was like, this is fun. This is cool. Like before then it was all client work. I was making videos for great tech startup companies, like some amazing companies, relationships I still have to this day. And I still like they were amazing projects to work on, but I'm still executing on somebody else's vision. So I thought to myself, how can I continue to execute on my own vision and put my own ideas out in the world? And like, you know, I had been spending my entire life and career uplifting other companies, pushing their message, pushing their brand forward, building their audiences. And I thought, well, why don't I just use this like superpower, this skill that I've created and use it to promote myself? I didn't think it would work. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, part of you <laughs> yeah. thinks it's going to work, totally. but there's so much doubt in the beginning. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, sometimes I didn't know why people paid me to make videos. Cause I'm like, I'm not sure this is even going to help your brand at all. Um, and then I had that same doubt going into it, but it was, it was something I knew I, I really wanted to do. Yeah. Especially in the early days where there's really limited feedback mm. when you're putting out content and it's like really limited amount of people watching it and giving you feedback on it for long, like a long period of time. Yeah. <laughs> like you're making stuff and releasing it all the time. And, um, I saw like my first video I put out about my podcast that I started was I got a spike, like a it was maybe a thousand views on that video and I was blown away, but it was all like family and friends and everybody's like, Oh, Matt's doing a new thing. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And then they stopped caring after episode two. It (laughs) wasn't novel anymore. So I, I, you just have to push through and that's the, it's, it's frustrating and it's tough in so many ways. Um, especially when you create something that you think is really valuable and that's really high level content. You're like, Oh my God, that interview blew my mind. More people should see this. And knowing that you just have to keep creating stuff that people don't and won't probably ever see (laughs) to get to the point where people will see what you do make. So you've been someone who's created for, I guess, what would be considered more like traditional media movie making. Like you spent two to three years of your life making a documentary, doing all the posts and then releasing it. YouTube obviously is very different where you're taking, you know, a lot more shots more frequently and you have like an ongoing conversation with your audience. How has uploading and making videos for YouTube sort of been surprising or validating or, or different for you, considering you come from a different background. Hmm. Right. I mean, 
I guess what drove me when I was making freelance videos, and I did that for a large part of my life, like graduating college, I made wedding videos, bar mitzvah videos, local TV commercials. Like I remember one time I was on a treadmill at the gym and then this local TV spot that I made for this, this uh, hardware company came on and I was like, holy crap. Like this is like, I had to stop the treadmill. I was like, this is a moment right here. And like, but looking back, it was the corniest commercial of all time. But, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a big moment. For me, the wins early on uh, were sending a video out to a client, wedding or otherwise tech company, and then waiting for that email, that email that they would, you know, validate my me or at least mm-hmm. like, you know, like you create because you want to bring joy into people's lives because you want to add value to that, that, that couple that just got married. So then when I would get that email of like all exclamation points, all calves, people blown away, like so happy and so thrilled for the, the video that I just delivered and, and gave to them, it's like a, it's like a rush. It's such a good feeling. Um, and then transitioning to doing YouTube videos, like I don't, and that's like, there's a double-edged sword there too with creating and, and just relying on that feedback. You shouldn't rely on it, but man, it's, it's a good feeling when you make a connection. Like we're not doing this to like just not make an impact or have nobody watch our stuff. So when I started to make original content, it was tough because nobody was listening (laughs) in the beginning and there was not much feedback. Each little piece was amazing. Like anytime somebody messaged me or emailed me or said, I saw your documentary, that was like really inspirational for me. Uh, And then now it's like you said, it's a much quicker turnaround now that I have a little audience. Like every time I put out a video, I'm getting feedback on it and I'm seeing like what I'm making in real time. And it's like, it's higher stakes too. Cause when I would send a video to a client, they would look at it and it would be, um, it's not final. It's not online. They could say, Oh, actually it's great, but let's make a couple of these changes. When you release a video online and you hit publish on YouTube, that's it. Like the audience decides, people decide Mm -hmm. whether it's going to be good or not. Cool. Should we take to Twitter? Let's take to Twitter. All right. Cool. So we just posted on Twitter asking people to submit questions for us. So here is our Twitter Q&A with Matt. All right. This is from Alan Reed. How much footage do you shoot that never sees the light of day? It's um, People probably see more of it. Like most of the footage that I'm shooting is like for these long form podcast interviews, like the one we just did was a two hour podcast. People are going to see all of that. Uh, for something like minimum, yeah, maybe I'll cut out a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, there's a few times. Like, that, you know, you guys here and there. like throwing profanities at me, right. and berating yeah, yeah, yeah. me. <laughs> that one time, this I- coffee is crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, when I was doing, you know, minimalism or any any other previous project a couple of years ago, I wanted to make everything so clean and just sharp. And I think there's value to that. But like advice that I would give a filmmaker if they're going into an interview to, you know, uh, interview somebody for the first time hit record before that person sits down in the chair. Because then you get these moments of them sitting down in the chair. You get a moment like, oh, so am I looking at the camera? Am I looking here or at you? And like, yeah, you might not ever use it. But I think down the road, like that's cool for behind the scenes footage. If you ever do, like if you want to do a breakdown, hey, this is like how I made this documentary, which I ended up doing as well. I wish I had more of those off the cuff moments. But I didn't totally answer the question. I would say with a, with a big project like minimalism, you're not going to, you're going to see one percent of the stuff that i shoot you know out of all the interviews you know doing 25 interviews some one doc i did there was like 80 interviews and maybe 
you'll get one minute per person. Sometimes you get five minutes per person, right. but you're going to be cutting out a lot. It's kind of like minimalism, right? You just have to like curate until you, you have something that you can appreciate and respect. Okay. Is it okay to copy someone's film style to eventually find your own? I feel it's hard to find a style without making something worthwhile first. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. Steal other people's stuff and do it like all the time in the beginning. Uh, credit the person, you know, where credit is due, especially if it's like too close. You know, if it's not, if you're not really remixing it in your own way. But that's how I started out. I would, uh, you know, there was a couple filmmakers that I really respected that were in my area that went to my high school and they would just shoot this footage of their backyards. And I was like, that is beautiful. How they shot that, the bouquet, like the lighting, the focus, the pans. And I just copied it. I was like, I'm going to, I want to do that kind of video. So then I did that. And then eventually at some point the line blurs and mm-hmm. you just start making, you, be, you, you find your own, your own look and your own vision. I think a good example of that is musicians who start out doing covers on YouTube and then mm. they eventually grow into their own originals. And no one really questions that that right. much. Yeah. And I think with filmmaking, it's a lot more like, wow, that's like you're copying this person. But like sometimes you just need something to work off of to find your own voice. Yeah. It's very hard because you, so, you don't want that to stop you from starting. So if you exactly. wanted to like copy somebody in the beginning, go for it. Um, and then just find your way. And, you know, it's like don't steal somebody's joke. Like there's certain mm-hmm. things like writing, don't steal somebody, like don't verbatim right. repeat somebody's joke and then uh, not give them credit for it. But in terms of like style and technique, especially if you didn't go to film school, I think like the only teachers you have are the people who are already making content. Mm. Right. Yeah. So true. Question. When did you first hear about the concept of minimalism? Oh, I first heard about minimalism. I graduated college with $97,000 in student loan debt, did the smartest thing I could think of, which was to buy a brand new car. So I was like $117,000 in debt. I was living in my parents' basement, uh, literally refurbished basement. And with my uh, younger, four younger siblings, they were in the basement as well. <laughs> I was in the basement by myself. <laughs> um, but uh, we, I, I, you know, late at night, I was watching Last Call with Carson Daly. Uh, just random, out of all shows. And he was interviewing Tom Shadiak. And Tom Shadick was like this like massively successful Hollywood director. He like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, like most of the comedies we grew up watching, he had directed them. And he basically got to the point where he moved into this massive mansion and like he had everything he was told he was supposed to have in life. And then he's like, Oh, I don't actually want this. This actually isn't making me happy. So he decided to move into a trailer park in Malibu and get rid of all this stuff. And like that was like a like a ma- massive shift for me to be able to say, oh, okay, I don't have to follow this path. I felt like I had to. I was like, well, I got to get the stuff. I got to get the house and the car, and I got to prove to everybody else that I'm successful. And then I realized I could just redefine my idea of success. And he, he mentioned simplicity in the video. And then just by chance, I just started coming across these blogs who wrote about and put a, a word to it, which was minimalism. And it was connected from the start. I was like, this is, yeah, definitely. I'm going to get rid of all my stuff. I didn't have a lot of stuff, but uh, it, w- it definitely set me on the right path. Um, I have a question for you. Yes. Why start a podcast in 2018? Yeah, well, I started in 2017, but starting a podcast in 2017 or 18, not much different at this point. Uh, I feel like there was a wave of, say, bloggers in 2010 or, or even earlier. If you started out around that time, it was very easy. It was easier to grow an audience than it is today because it's so oversaturated. 
Uh, but that's to say that you, you can't, it's not that like you can't make a blog today or make a successful podcast. Um, and a lot of the top people in the podcasting world are saying like it, it such a small percentage of people are listening to podcasts now. It's only going to grow from here. Uh, but also, I guess if you think about it, we shouldn't be making something just because we want to build an audience, like period. We should do it because we enjoy making stuff. We enjoy the craft. We, you know, if you don't enjoy filmmaking and you try to make it as a filmmaker, you're probably not going to last very long. And I think the same thing is with podcasting. It's just a different medium. What about benefits for you of being on YouTube and having a podcast and integrating those? Um, right. I think, well, actually I just had, uh, Tyler Babin on the podcast. Uh, he is Gary V's creative director and works a lot with his content and he talks about creating pillars. And this was kind of something that I was unconsciously doing, but just realizing that there's an easy way and a hard way to do things. And we're in a world where we want to make content consistently and, you know, stay in touch with our audience and also just provide value on a consistent basis. And the best way to do that is to have like one or two pillars of content where it's like the podcast is my main thing. That's where I'm focusing most of my energy. And in what ways can the podcast create me additional content? So since I film all my podcasts, three camera setup and, and lighting and the whole thing, I can then break those down into teasers for Instagram. I can do these excerpts where I break down certain ideas within the podcast uh, on my YouTube channel, which has the double advantage of helping grow my YouTube audience, but then also informing people who don't know about my podcast. So I think in, in a lot of ways, like it may seem complicated, but it's really, it comes down to a simple route in the very beginning. It's like, all right, focus on this one thing and then do that really well. And then how can you in post-production create multiple pieces of content? The biggest takeaway from our conversation with Matt if you want to make a film, find the audience first. I think that applies if you want to make a movie for Netflix or a film for theaters or even just YouTube videos. Find the audience first and then start creating content for that community. So thanks to Matt for sitting down with us. Make sure to follow him on YouTube as well as subscribe to his podcast, The Ground Up Show. Keep an eye out for our episode. And as always, we want our podcast to be conversational. Occasionally, we do these Q&As where we take questions from Twitter. So make sure to follow us there, at Colin and Samir. All right, that's it. Until next time.